just to, to kind of give you a working definition of what we're talking about this morning, um, I believe that a stronghold or the threat of a stronghold is anything that keeps you from full intimacy with the Lord. All right, and, and, and here's the thing, okay? Um, don't, don't hear me wrong. It's not that the Lord is not intimate with you. It's that your understanding of intimacy with the Lord is skewed if there is a stronghold or the threat of something that is keeping you from fully recognizing and fully embracing God's intimacy with you. Because here's the thing, God is always near. He's always close. He's always leaned in. He always loves you. There's no amount of sin that is gonna keep you from that, okay? If you're a follower of Jesus in the room, there's no amount of sin that, that conquers your following Jesus. You're saying yes to the Lord. But understand that sin does impact our ability to receive love from the Father, to experience encounters with the Father. And so that's what I wanna talk about this morning is, is this idea of a stronghold and, and, um, and, and talk practically about a few things that, that will help us um, demolish them, okay? Uh, demolish them. We're gonna, we're gonna get our hammers out and bust some stuff up. So are you guys ready? Because we're, we're gonna roll today. Second uh, Chronicles, let's go there. Second Chronicles, Old Testament. Um, I, I love digging around in the Old Testament because uh, it's just fun. And, uh, and so let me, let me uh, let's, let's read Second Chronicles um, right out the gate. Chapter uh, 20, verse 1. Got your Bibles? You can get there. I love that, that noise. That it's like the Holy Spirit pages or, or like the, the warm glow of the, the version app on your faces. It's from the Holy Spirit. Uh, anyway, Second Chronicles, chapter 20, verse 1. Here we go. It says... After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites, which I think that sounds right, right? Meunites, that sounds good. They came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Uh, let's hang right there for one second. After this, the Moabites, Ammonites, Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle. You see, the key to understanding where we're going today resides in that small statement in verse one, after this. That means that something happened before this. <laughs> after this, um, people started threatening Jehoshaphat for battle. You see, Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah. In this particular time period in Second Chronicles, the nation of Israel was split into two different nations. There was the northern kingdom, which was known as Israel, and there was the southern kingdom, which was known as Judah. In the southern kingdom, you had Jerusalem down, which was a smaller portion. The northern kingdom, you had uh, everything from above Jerusalem up. And, um, and Israel's not a huge place, but they were split into two kingdoms. And uh, in the northern kingdom, the king at this point was a guy by the name of Ahab. He was bad. He was real bad, in fact. Uh, he did a bunch of dumb things. Am I allowed to say that? Uh, if I'm not, forgive me. And then there was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a good king. He was a righteous king. Um, it says in, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it says that Jehoshaphat walked in the ways of his father David. Y'all know David, he, he was the king of Israel for like a pretty good while. He wrote 
the, mo- the majority of Psalms, 74 of them to be in, fa- uh, uh, in fact. Um, and, uh, and David was known as a man after God's own heart. So for Jehoshaphat to be walking in the ways of David, that means that he's a religious guy. He's a righteous guy. He's walking with the Lord. He wants to honor him with the kingdom of Judah. In fact, um, he wanted to honor God so much that it says in chapter 17 that he actually took uh, Levitical teachers of the law and put them all throughout the country of Judah. When he became the ruler, he put them all throughout the country. He stationed them all around Judah and he had them teach the book of the law. He had them talk about the oracles of God, the prophecies of God. He had them talk about the places where God had won, the victories and how God was a God who was mighty to save and how he came through for Israel time and time and time again. And it says in um, uh, 2 Chronicles chapter 17, it says that when he did this, when he sent teachers to teach the law, it says that fear of the Lord fell upon all the kingdoms that were around him and they made no war. So get this, like fear of God, okay? And I, and I, I, I do mean like the fear of God, like God's big and he, he can like crush us all like ants in a minute. Like that's, uh, I do mean that, but I also mean like reverence for the Lord. Kind of like the Grand Canyon, like when you step up to the Grand Canyon, like no way I'm jumping off that. I have a healthy respect that of gravity <laughs> and the immense beauty of this big thing that if I jump into, I will die. You know what I mean? Like there's this respect for the beauty of that. And, and so there's this fear of the Lord because God was with Jehoshaphat to protect the nation of Judah. And he was watching over them. And all of the nations around him said, no way are we gonna go battle Jehoshaphat in Judah because he is a man after God's heart. He follows in the ways of David. He is a victorious, righteous man. But yet you have in chapter 20, you have nations beginning to rise up against him. You see, something happened between Second Chronicles chapter 17 and Second Chronicles chapter 20. In, um, in Second Chronicles 17 and 18, Ahab, the northern king, the bad guy I was just telling you about, he comes to, to uh, Jehoshaphat and he says, let's develop an alliance. Um, I've got some, some neighboring countries that I don't like. Some guys have picked a fight with me and I want to fight them back. Will you fight with me? And Jehoshaphat, wanting to unite Israel and wanting to fight for their brothers, said, okay, let's do this. And so the two kingdoms came together to go fight a war, and they barely won. I mean, just barely made it. Ahab, as an unrighteous king, um, devious in all his ways, he actually died in the battle. And it says, Jehoshaphat barely made it out by the skin of his teeth. And so, follow me, what happens between 2 Chronicles 17 and 2 Chronicles 20 is all the neighboring uh, kingdoms that are around Judah that would not make war because of the fear of the Lord and all of God's goodness that was around Jehoshaphat and Judah, they started looking and they said, whoa, they went and they fought against one army, both kingdoms? And they barely won? They barely made it by the skin of their teeth? Huh. So maybe Jehoshaphat and maybe Judah's not such a big bad dude after all. Maybe they're, maybe they're not as strong as we think they are. Maybe God's hand of protection isn't on them as much as we thought that they 
were. You see, Jehoshaphat messed up by making an agreement with Ahab, the king of the northern kingdom. You see, the neighboring countries that feared God saw a kink in Jehoshaphat's armor because of his agreement with the northern kingdom. See, friends, as we kind of like talk through this concept of of a stronghold this morning, I want to start by asking this question. um, What or who are you making an agreement with that shows the weakness, that shows the enemy a weakness in your identity? As a follower of Jesus, if you are a follower of Christ in this room, you are promised a strong identity in the Lord. You are promised perfection. You are promised an empowering by the Holy Spirit. You are promised that you have been given the equipment to walk in holiness every single day of your life. So why don't we? You see, friends, what I think is happening is that we're agreeing with the northern kingdom. (laughs) We're agreeing with a kingdom other than the kingdom culture that we truly desire. So what or who is it that you are making an agreement with that shows the enemy a weakness in your identity? Because I can tell you, it's not Jesus' identity that makes the enemy come after you. Because the enemy came after Jesus... And all heaven broke loose. (laughs) The enemy came after Jesus, and the enemy paid dearly for that by the release of the Holy Spirit and freedom and salvation on the earth. So the enemy is not going to touch Jesus because he knows that Jesus is always victorious all the time. So, what agreement are we making with something or someone other than the kingdom that we claim to be a part of that is showing the enemy a weakness in our understanding of our identity in Christ's likeness? That's going, hmm, I think I can take that. I think I can do that. You see, the enemy has limited resources. God has unlimited resources, but the enemy only has limited resources. He is not going to go pick a fight unless he thinks he can win it. Romans 8 says that we're more than conquerors through Christ. More than conquerors means that the enemy recognizes the Jesus in you so much so that he doesn't even allocate resources to go fight the fight because he knows he can't win. So the question is, friends, why are there still strongholds in our lives? If we're followers of Jesus and if we've received a fullness of identity in who he is in us and the empowering that God's Holy Spirit gives us to walk out faithfully this life in victory day in and day out, why are we losing? Why do we lose? Why are there strongholds? Why are there threats of strongholds? It's because we're agreeing with something other than God's kingdom. The enemy knows he's got a shot at winning a place in our heart because we're confused about our identity. We're confused about who we are in Christ. We think that sin is still on the table for us. You see, strongholds and the threat of strongholds only come when we agree with them. Places in our life that don't resemble what the Lord looks like and what Jesus died on the cross to give us grace and empowering to walk out freedom in this life, 
the strongholds that are against that only come when we agree with it. When our spirit shakes hands with something that's unholy, something that's not from the Lord. So it comes when we step out of a strong identity in Christ and we step into or we agree with a weaker identity that we're really not as good as God says we are, that we're really not as perfect as we think or as he says we could be and should be and are when he looks at us. So we develop the the stronghold or we operate from the fear of a threat of a stronghold. So you get this, guys. I'm not trying to make this a performance-based uh, message. I'm not trying to, to get you to, to think that, that somehow um, that what you do in this life makes you um, uh, uh, closer to God. The reality is, is your, your proximity to God is already established by Jesus. If you're a follower of him, you're already intimate with him. God has already made the intimacy possible what is affected is your ability to receive his intimacy. See, strongholds don't stop God from loving you, but they hinder greatly your ability to receive his love. Strongholds never stopped God. Sin is not a problem in God's community, all right? He paid a dear price to trash sin and make it done once and for all. So it's not God's issue, but it's our understanding of our identity that is breaking the cycle of perfection in the world. So God is a loving God and he still does what he does. But if we allow these strongholds to build up and to take place in our hearts and our minds, we're agreeing with something other than his kingdom and we're seeing inconsistency. Heaven forbid, friends that we agree with a weak identity and then we call it grace. Heaven forbid that we agree with a broken identity that makes an excuse for how we can live continually in willful sin and living a, a trashy life for Jesus Christ who paid a perfect uh, penalty for our sin. Heaven forbid that we live that way and we just call it, oh, it's just grace. Grace. Did you know (laughs) that grace is what allows me and you to walk in God's truth? It's the awareness of God's grace on my life that actually empowers me to continue to walk in freedom, thankful that he set me free because I've been set free from my broken past and now I'm actually equipped and I get to willfully choose to walk with him day in and day out. You see, friends, willful sin is not from God's kingdom. And if it's not from God's kingdom, then it's from another kingdom. It's from a demonic influence. And whether you like to hear this or not, the reality is if we are continuing as a follower of Jesus in willful sin, then we are shaking hands with a demonic influence in our life. We are allowing the enemy to have a stronghold in a place where he has no business because we have the ability to have a perfect identity in Christ and we're not agreeing with it. We're saying it's too good. It's too good. We, we, poss- we couldn't possibly live in perfection. We couldn't possibly do that. It's an agreement with the wrong kingdom, friends. 
You see, the reason why I'm able to stand up here and talk about this today is because I've lived here. Because I've had addictions and I've had struggles and for on and on and on, day in and day out, I've talked about Jesus and I've talked about how good he is and how much he sets us free and so on and so forth. But yet, <laughs> there's still, there was still this shaking hand <laughs> with this demonic influence in my life. I've had addictions to pornography. I've failed over and over again. I've agreed with anger. I've done all of these things. And somewhere along the way, it clicked with me. Because friends, I want to tell you, and maybe this resonates with you, but there were days where I would look, I would stand in the bathroom, and I would look in the mirror, and I could not bear to see the person looking back at me. I could not bear to look inside my own eyes because I hated what I saw. And I don't know about you, but as a follower of Jesus, I got sick and tired of saying one thing and doing something else. And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus set me free. I knew it. I know it today. I still know it right now beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus paid a perfect price to set me free. So why am I still walking the way that I walk? When I got married to my wife, I said that I will love you and I will be with you forever and I will not cheat on you and all these kind of things, right? I made a commitment, a covenant. I entered in, I said, I'm not divorcing, I'm all in, right? So why in the world would I want to, why would I want to get married to her and then go, okay, now I'm gonna cheat on her every day. Every day, I'm just gonna look for an opportunity. Or even if I don't look for an opportunity, I'm gonna wake up in the morning and go, man, I hope I don't cheat on my wife today. Gosh, I hope that some, some attractive female doesn't come and, and, just, and just mess everything up for me. You see, I'm cracking the door <laughs> to the possibility that I'm going to give in. Instead of going, no, I made a covenant to my wife and it is my honor to love her and live for her and to fight for her. And so it is, it is part of me giving of my life to her so that she can see my love and my commitment. You see, friends, what I think is happening is it's, it's like, we're, it's like we're, we're, we're taking Jesus and we're like rubbing mud in his face. And then we go, look, here's my Jesus, guys. Check it out. This is what he paid for. You guys okay? <laughs> I told you we were going to go, go quick today. So friends, if you want to break free from what is holding you captive or from the threat of what's holding you captive, I want to unpack Second Chronicles chapter 20. And, uh, and pull out some principles, all right? And, and here's, here's what we're, this, is, this has been the longest intro, right, ever. But here's, here's what we're gonna talk about this morning. War tactics for demolishing strongholds or the threat of strongholds. War tactics for demolishing strongholds or the threat of strongholds, okay? So let's jump in, get your running shoes on, and we're gonna go fast. And I'm, I'm serious, like I'm gonna tear through this. All right. So Jehoshaphat, let's go back, right? Jehoshaphat, some men came to him, chapter two. It says, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom. 
and from beyond the sea. And behold, they're in uh, whatever that word is. That is in Gedi. That was a, that's from the Lord. That's a spirit, you know, that's a tongue, right? I just said it in tongues. It's cool. Um, then Jehoshaphat, in verse three, he was afraid and he set his face to seek the Lord and proclaim a fast throughout all Judah. So watch this. Okay, Jehoshaphat had a natural reaction to the threat of a incoming stronghold, to the threat of an invasion, and it was fear, Right? That happens in our lives when the threat of something comes, like fear is kind of a natural worldly response to that, and fear began to take hold of him. So what did Jehoshaphat do? He got on his face, and he called the people to a fast throughout the entire nation. You see, there's a point in our life where if we are going to destroy, we're going to demolish a stronghold, one of the things that we have to do is we've got to move outside of our feelings, The threat of sin is here. The enemy prowls around like a roaring lion, right? The threat of sin is here. Fear has the ability to show up in our lives. Negativity has the ability to show up in our lives. Um, Thoughts that are not from the Lord have the ability to show up in our lives. So the question is, what do we do with them? We recognize that they're not from God's kingdom and we move away. We move away from the feeling. Your feelings are not the indicator of who you are and where you're going. They're not the indicator of who you are in Christ. Your feelings, for the most part, are one of the most worldly things that you have. So watch this. Um, Just to kind of illustrate the point, when I take my daughter to school, for instance, I don't get in the truck and strap her in and go, oh man, I hope I don't get in a wreck today. Oh, I think today's the day I'm going to get in a wreck. It's been like hundreds of days and I hadn't had a wreck yet, so clearly today is the day that I'm going to get in a wreck. No. I get in my car thinking I'm going to take her to school and I go home, right? If I thought that I was actually going to get in a wreck that day, I wouldn't drive my truck, right? So here's the thing, friends. We're starting off in the wrong foot when fear begins to creep in on us and we go, man, I hope I don't sin today. Enemy's crouching at the door, man. You never know. He's crafty. I might, I might screw up. Man, I hope I don't give in to X, Y, Z. Man, I hope I don't do this. I'm just a sinner saved by grace. I'm just going to get through it. No. You were a sinner. Now you're just saved by grace. Now you're a saint. Now you're holy. Now you're perfect. What if you wake up every day going, today there is no sin in this temple. Today there is no sin in this house. This is a temple for the Lord, and I will honor him in every moment, empowered by the Holy Spirit, not agreeing with the northern kingdom, not agreeing with the kingdom that's not from the Lord, but agreeing with his kingdom. In every opportunity, God, I want you to see how much I love you by how I live my life. It's not that we don't own the fact that there's a broken world and that wrecks happen. It's just knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt in confidence that God has already taken care of the wrecks and that you're not going to get in one. Don't speak negatively over yourself. Don't give the enemy credit where he has none. So Jehoshaphat literally gets on his face, right? He seeks the Lord. Um, that word in the Hebrew, it it literally means to give your face to God. (laughs) So, so to demolish a stronghold, another thing that you should do is give your face to God. All right. Like, like think about this. Okay. If you give anything that you give your face to, 
your eyes and your mouth and your senses, your ears, everything goes there, right? If you give your face to God, then your attention is automatically on him. And so, and so literally, like, that's the picture, is that you put your face in line with the kingdom, and you say, God, what do you want? How would you handle this? My ears are in, my eyes are in, my smell is in, my mouth is in, you, you, me and you. Let's figure this out. And then he calls a fast. What are you willing to give up to experience an encounter with God's kingdom? I've counseled tons and tons of people and, um, you know, sometimes uh, it's like, man, I have this stronghold, I have this issue that I'm dealing with, I have this whatever, um, but I'm, I'm not going to, like, if I say, hey, can you go to counseling? And listen, I'm not, I'm not judging you in any way, like, please hear me in this, but like, if I'm like, hey, you know, will you go to counseling, it's going to be $50 a month, it's going to be $100 a session, it's whatever. Like, um, okay, man, I'm really broken, I'm messed up, but, but I, I can't, I'm not going to pay for that but I will pay for my Wi-Fi and my Starbucks every day and I will pay for this and I will pay for my gym membership and so on and so forth. Y'all see what I'm saying? Like, what are you willing to say, hey, I'm gonna fast this to show God that I'm all in. And on top of that, what am I gonna call my friends together for and say, guys, this is where I see an imminent threat in my life and I need you to help me out. Will you fast with me? over this particular thing? Will you fast, will you join with me in partnering with God to say, dude, I want victory in this area? It says, Judah assembled in verse four to seek help from the Lord. All the cities came together. They brought unity among all the nations. They brought unity together. That is such a key thing, bringing unity. And Jehoshaphat stood in the assembly um, of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court He called everybody together. That had never been done before. The whole kingdom of Judah had never come together. And here's the catch, okay? If we are going to demolish the strongholds or the threat of a stronghold, you have to be willing to lose your dignity to do it. Jehoshaphat stood in front of everybody that he was the king over. He was the king over every single person in that kingdom. And he was supposed to be the one that knew when to go to war and he was supposed to be the one that was the religious man after God's heart and he was supposed to be the one that knew all the stuff and he had to go before every one of them and say, all of y'all fast, all of y'all seek the Lord, I'm gonna seek the Lord too because I have no clue what to do. When the imminent threat of a, of a stronghold is creeping at your door or you are ensnared by a stronghold, if you have any dignity, chances are you will not break free. Not because God's not good enough, but because you're too prideful. Newsflash, dignity is not a spiritual gift. Neither is pride. It's not a fruit of the spirit. We gotta be willing to say, I know that I probably should know how to do this, but I don't. Boom, get on my face. Hey, will you guys get on your face with me? So Jehoshaphat cries out to the Lord, He cries out to the Lord. In uh, in six, it says, "Oh, Oh Lord God, our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms and the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Do you not, uh, our God, drive out? Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? You see what Jehoshaphat is doing? He's remembering what God had already done. 
You see, if you want to demolish a stronghold, go back to the places where you saw him destroy something um, like, like that was building up in your life. Like the last, few, the last year of our life, I've shared about my, uh, my wife and I and the miscares we've had and things like that. And that was like traumatic for us. Like during that, tra- that trauma season, like literally her and I had to go back to like the names and places of like people who have been freed from cancer, people that were freed from addictions, like, like all the blessings that God has done in our life and literally like call on that. And what Jehoshaphat is doing in this is he's actually calling the atmosphere of the kingdom down to the people to say, remember God is God who's mighty to save. He will do this for us again. He will do this again, guys. It doesn't matter if strongholds come. It doesn't matter if pestilence or famine or war or whatever the threat of that comes. God will save us if we just lean into him and we put our face toward him. Remember what he did. He saved us then. He's the God who never changes. He'll save us today and he'll save us tomorrow. He's calling the atmosphere of remembrance. And what happens when you remember that? Faith grows. It creates great soil for faith to grow because you remember what he did and you remember what he's gonna do. He goes on in verse 10. He says, and now behold, all these people are coming up against us. Behold, they reward us by driving, trying to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us, Lord. Will you not execute judgment on them? For we're powerless against this great horde. Listen to this. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Friends, that's where you lose all of your dignity and you pull out all of the transparency that you can muster up. If you want to demolish a stronghold or the threat of a stronghold in your life, you have to be willing to be transparent. You have to be willing to say, hey, man, I don't know what's next. I don't know what to do. This is what's going on, friends and family. This is what's going on, my spiritual community. I don't know what to do next, but my eyes are on the Lord. Somebody please speak on God's behalf. There's this humble place of submission that takes place when we say, I don't know what to do, but my eyes are on you, God. What is next? Are you watching the Lord? Or are you watching Netflix? Dude, I'm serious. Like, I'm not lying. I'm not, I'm not trying to be, I'm not getting uber spiritual on this at all. But, um, like, there was a season where Netflix and Hulu was, like, like my drug. Like, like I would just binge watch cooking shows and cake wars and uh, build the house shows and all that, like, whatever. Like, I just would, because I needed to just escape from the stress and the things of life. And, and literally, like, the Lord just woke me up one day and was like, dude, what are you watching? Yeah, cake wars. That's what I'm. You know what I'm saying? Like, listen, there's nothing wrong with TV. I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to say we just need to sit around and kumbaya and read Leviticus every day. But, dude, seriously, what are you watching? The motivation of your heart. Why do you want to get away from where you're at? Are you watching the Lord? Are my eyes on you? It goes on. Says, meanwhile, Judah stood before the Lord. Listen to this. All of Judah stood before the Lord in verse 13 with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Ezra, they think the the prophet was the one who wrote this. He chronicled this. Typically in Old Testament, they don't even mention women and children in, in much of anything. But the fact that he felt it necessary to say the entire nation knew what was going on. There's a transparency there and there's a place that's leading to freedom because the king, from the king to the smallest child, knew what was going on. 
There was a transparency there that said, there is an imminent threat and I'm willing to let everybody know it because I need help. Guys, all of us, we need help. I'm gonna tell you, we have allowed our children into some of the struggles that we've had in our lives and you would be shocked at the amount of revelation that comes out of a mouth of a four-year-old and an eight-year-old. You would be shocked at the wisdom from the Lord that comes out of my children's mouths. Last night, like literally before they went to bed, I sat at their, at their bed and I let them lay hands on me and pray over this message. And they are empowering me through the Holy Spirit to do this. Like that is, that is so priceless. We let them in. We don't dismiss them because they're little. There's no junior Holy Spirit. (laughs) Revelation is revelation, friends. So transparency among the assembly was so important. And then in verse 14, it says, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, who was a prophet at that time. And I mean, literally, this is like the only time that he's really mentioned in scripture. Um, So, I mean, clearly he wasn't like a heavy hitter like Elijah or whatever, but dude, the spirit of the Lord came upon this dude and he got to speak what was getting ready to happen. So, I mean, that's crazy. By the way, spiritual principle there, when we ask for the Lord, he always speaks. His word always comes out, but it may not come out of the voice or the mouth you think it will. It may not come from where you think it will. It may not be in your brain and it may not come out of that trusted mentor source that you think it's gonna come from. It might come out of the mouth of your kid. So just keep that in mind, right? Um, and so Jehaziel says, listen, all Judah inhabitants of Jerusalem and King, and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, don't be afraid, don't be dismayed at this great horde. Listen, this, the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Catch this. Number one, he says, don't be afraid. What was the first thing that Jehoshaphat did? His reaction was initially fear. So he, uh, if you want to demolish strongholds, you need to combat the lie. Combat the lie. Knock down the lie. Speak directly to the lie and replace it with the truth. That's what Jehaziel did. He was the mouthpiece of God in this moment. And he spoke to Jehoshaphat's fear and said, don't be fearful. Don't be dismayed. God's already got this. He spoke and replaced the lie with the truth that came from the kingdom. Speak to the lie. Speak to the lie. And then, like, this part blows my mind, right? He says, uh, you don't have to fight this fight. He says, show up, but don't fight. Like, picture this in your mind, okay? An army, a nation, thousands upon thousands of people that had to get together. They had to put their armor on. They had to get suited up. They had to be the army, He says, you're gonna show up, but you're not gonna fight. And before any of this took place, the next response by Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah, it goes on to say that they fell on their face and they worshiped. This was before the battle ever happened. This was before anything ever happened. Get this, if you wanna demolish strongholds, worship before anything happens. Go ahead and worship him. Believe it to be true. You may not have mastered the stronghold that you think that you have mastered, or you you may still have a struggle in your life. Guess what, friends? Believe 
that he's already broken it down and worship him for it. It's putting your money where your mouth is. You see, Jehaziel said, hey, army, you guys are going to have to show up. You're going to have to suit up. You're going to have to go to war, but you're not going to fight. And Jehoshaphat said, that's good enough for me. Let's believe and let's worship, guys. And he commissioned people to worship. And the whole time that the army went down to meet this great horde that they were supposedly going to be fighting, the whole time there were worshipers that he commissioned to circle around the army and worship. That's all they did is they worshiped. And back in Jerusalem at the temple, that's all they did is they worshiped. They kept worshiping and they just kept crying out to the Lord. And they kept crying out that he's mighty to save. And he's a great God that forgives and and all these kind of things. And they weren't afraid. They weren't dismayed. They went out. It goes on. And there, there went from, see, watch what happened. As soon as the Lord spoke, as soon as they caught the, the, the voice of the Lord or the vision of the Lord, it went from seeking wisdom to praise. Did you see that? Jehoshaphat went from seeking wisdom like, God, I don't want, know what to do with next. As soon as the Lord spoke, it was like, yes, worship. Now we're good. Nothing had happened. Their circumstances hadn't changed. They just worshiped because they believed what he said. So then it goes on, as these people are singing praises and worshiping and all that kind of stuff, it says they were singing praises, the Lord, in verse 22, set an ambush against them, against the men of Ammon and Moab and all that kind of stuff. Basically, this is Brent International Version right now, I'm kind of like making my own interpretation of it, so if you disagree with me, that's fine. But what I think happened is like, like all those nations got together and they said, we're going to pick a fight on Judah because they're not as strong as they think they are. They don't have God's hand the way they think they do. And so all of them got together, and basically the Lord caused a confusion among all of the the groups of people, and they started fighting each other. And they were in this valley, and they were waiting on Judah to come fight with them. And all of them got confused, and they fought each other. And, And the story goes on to say that they basically all disagreed and fought and all that kind of stuff, and they all died. They all they all killed themselves. It said none escaped. So watch this, okay? You're Judah. You're the nation of Judah and you're suited up for armor with your armor on and you're, you're ready to go into a fight and like whatever, whatever is coming and you've got people praising and walking around and you come up, it says they came up to the watchtower in the wilderness, which is the high place where they can look down over the valley and see what's going on. And they come up to this high place and they step up on this high place and they look down in the valley and all they see is just bodies. Nothing. They just see victory. Didn't even lift a finger except to say, hey God, we're in. What if at the precipice of your stronghold, at the place where you think the trap is waiting to ensnare you, is actually a place of worship and victory. You see, it goes on to say at the end of it that they went down into the valley and, and there was like all these like jewels and, um, and stuff that they took from the army that had been decimated by the Lord. And they called it the Valley of Barakah, the Valley of Blessing. 
What if the valley where you think sin exists and darkness and brokenness exists is actually the valley where you're going to get resources for victory? The valley where you're going to get resources to explain to other people how a good God has demolished your strongholds for you and you did nothing but worship him through it. And on top of that, you got blessing upon blessing. You see, that's what this community needs. That's what this world is waiting for. It's for a group of people that knows that the perfection that they are given to live in comes straight from the Lord and it can accomplish and overcome every single stronghold that the enemy might try to throw their way. We're more than conquerors, friends. Every single one of us in this room, I don't care if you've known Jesus for five minutes or 50 years, you are fully equipped for every good work. You are fully equipped to live from today, from this minute right here at 1212 until eternity, you can live in absolute perfection. Why? Because he equipped you for it. He empowered you for it. He shed blood for that. Why in the world will we wake up in the morning every day and go, man, I'm just, I'm so defeated right now. I just don't know what to do. And if you don't know what to do, get on your face. Call your friends together. Pick any of these things. Just pick one and do it. And I'm telling you, there's breakthrough in the wings.